0: This is a Sydney EO production.
1: Welcome to episode 46 of the Sydney EO business podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm with Paul Gordon from Catalyze APEC. Hi, Paul.
0: Hi, Brendan. Great to be here. How are you?
1: Yeah, great, thanks. So you're my uh, first interviewee in this new world where uh, everyone connects via screen. <laughs> so welcome. What
0: a, what a strange time.
1: <laughs> it is. A, and, and so what's your situation at the moment? You working from home or...
0: Yes, I'm, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, in some respects, I'm fortunate because my uh, team is all uh, remotely distributed. I've got an office in Wellington in New Zealand. I've got an office in Canberra. My office, my EA is up the coast and my bookkeepers are in the Philippines. So we're um, used to working over Zoom, Skype, Microsoft Teams, or whatever. So for us, this is kind of a bit business as usual. So oh, yeah. yes, I am now actually
1: in my house. And so what about... um the customers that you normally work with, do you normally do face to face with them, or are they also used to doing Zoom and and so forth?
0: Yeah, it's a it's a very good question, um, because in fact the core one of the a core part of our offer at Catalyst is uh, helping large organisations make decisions, which mostly involves running workshops with maybe a dozen, 15, 20 people in a room and uh, with people like me and my team facilitating. So most of my clients are much used to used to working face to face in a kind of real environment and the switch for them to this virtual world is uh, proving challenging. Yeah. Particularly uh, for certain clients who happen to operate in a high security environments where things like Skype and so on just can't work.
1: Don't, don't cut it. So, what yep. well, they're no, par- they're they're paranoid that there's going to be uh, people dropping in on the conversations and stealing data <laughs> and that sort of thing. Is it or? Oh,
0: it's, it's worse than that. This is national security, so oh, right we're okay. the Yep, yep. And, uh, They just cannot put the kind of conversations on a public channel. So, important.
1: <laughs> just, just on a side note, did, so they do nothing virtual; everything's face to face and.
0: So uh, in, a, in a defense environment, they have different levels of classification and certain things can be done virtually um, and certain other things uh, can only be done face-to-face or on a closed network inside a partic- particular facility. So um, yep. yeah, you won't, you won't see anyone from defense on their mobile phone having some of the highly classified conversations that just can't happen.
1: Yeah, fair you enough. Make- so I guess that's what what does Catalyze actually do? I think that's probably a good yeah, it's it's starting to sound very intriguing. Defense, secret meetings. Um
0: yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> if you
1: if you can tell us, Paul, if it's not too classified, it'd be great.
0: <laughs> uh, well. That's always the the perennial challenge, I can make it sound much more interesting than it might be
1: perhaps.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, the the short answer is uh, we work with large organisations helping them make hard decisions and uh, most of my clients at the moment are government departments which I've got an office in Wellington, central government in New Zealand and obviously in Canberra or the federal government here. Um, and we run very structured decision processes, uh, which often include workshops, that's one of the challenges today, um, where we bring all sorts of stakeholders together, uh, use techniques like decision modelling, so uh, they can see visual uh, representations of their decisions and help them get to a decision that everyone's aligned on and is in the best interest of all the stakeholders. Um, uh, you know, to, just to give and a, a real live example, actually, um, uh, my New Zealand team just before they went into lockdown were working inside of uh, the New Zealand government, helping facilitate some of their decision making around the coronavirus response. Oh wow! So, uh, involved, as you might imagine, all sorts of stakeholders from uh, the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, through to the emergency services, through to Defence, through to Coast Guard. You can imagine it so.
1: Are some cultures more open to decisive decision-making than others or is it? um, Good question. Yeah. uh, Do you know what I mean? Like some people go, okay, let's just do this thing or is it because they've got less people and there's not as many ramifications or?
0: Yeah, it's a a, a great question and uh, it's one of the things that comes up quite a lot. Uh, Some... Some cultures are, so you might imagine some of the Asian cultures where there's a very clear sense of hierarchy and respect and you don't question upwards, um, makes the kind of work that we do, which is very collaborative and very, um, let's say, crosses all sorts of borders and boundaries, quite tricky. Um, And in other respects, a lot often we're challenging cultures in a positive way so you know back to the example of defense you can imagine how a defense organization works with a very strict hierarchy and you wouldn't never and uh, wouldn't ever uh, challenge your superior officer you know that written into the doctrine mm-hmm. yet we run workshops that have people of all ranks in the room and uh, treat them equally and provide an environment where they can challenge uh, their superior officers so um yeah it's uh can be quite a cultural challenge for some organizations um, and frankly, my first question I would ever ask a potential uh, company I'm going to work with is if they're not interested in making decisions that enable everyone to participate and they actually want to do it all behind the scenes, then um, you know, we're not going to help them.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So you think that some people are just paying lip service to, we've gone through this decision making process and then that validates a decision that's already been made.
0: Uh, Yeah, and I've got lots of of stories, some of which I could never share publicly (laughs) around organisations that have called me up to say, we made a decision and now we need a process to prove it was the right answer.
1: Right, okay. Okay, so that's just called politics, isn't
0: it? Yeah, and and, and to be honest, some of those examples are… Uh, where I've had a conversation with those people and these are very senior people and they've said, well, no, we'll run a process anyway and if we if it changes our decision, we'll go with a new decision. So they've yep. been open to moving away from uh, kind of we've already announced a big investment and now we have to change.
1: Yeah, right. Well, that's, uh, it sounds like it's um, it would be always different, right? It, different people, different personalities, uh, yeah. different uh, decisions that they've got to make and...
0: Oh, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it n- a never a dull moment in what I do. And, and you know, want, today is a good example. You know, well, one minute I'm having a conversation about in western with huge oil and gas companies. The next minute I'm having a conversation around uh, what New Zealand should do with its transport infrastructure. The next minute I'm having a conversation around what are the biggest uh, risks that the are facing right now. Right. Um, and that's literally my point <laughs> again.
1: Oh, fantastic! And uh, don't forget the podcast; that's got to be up there as well. But we don't have to make any oh, big absolutely. decisions today. We just have to chat. So <laughs> that's that's all. The but, well, you know,
0: frankly, a decision you had to make was to have me on the podcast. So yeah, know, that, that's, that's it. That's it. Decision. That was the
1: hardest decision we knew, and we didn't need to do any mapping or anything like that. So it was good. All good. So <laughs> how did you get? How did you get? I mean, this sounds like you're dealing with some pretty meaty stuff. How did you? How did you get? how did this business evolve like where where what's been yeah. your journey to tell us about you know um how long you've been how how long have you been in business for and-
0: so I, yeah, it's 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 it has been an interesting journey actually. Um, it started in the UK back in 2000, where I was working for a, a, I guess an innovation um, univer- part of the university for do- doing innovation, and I realised that um, uh, no one would employ me because I was a jack of all trades and the master of none. Uh, and so I decided to set up my own business. So I set up a software company back in 2000 and uh, doing some really fun things with mountain biking and GPS's and all sorts of uh, cool stuff I got fit Um, and after a few years of doing that it was kind of going okay but not great. I came across someone who had a business in decision making called Catalyze and I thought that looks like an interesting business so he, uh, his name was Bob and I kind of got together over a few beers and glasses of wine and realized that what I knew about software and what he knew about decision making consulting would actually fit together quite nicely. So uh, in 2004, he and I put together the two businesses and Capitalize, as it is today, was born, well not quite as it is today, but as it almost is today, was born then. Um, Then, given the way the world goes, two years later, my wife at the time decided she wanted to get a job in New Zealand, so she moved to New Zealand. Uh, and uh, I had the tough decision to make, good job I knew how to do that, Um, (laughs) to uh, move to New Zealand and set up Catalyze APAC. So in 2006 I kind of left the vast majority of years of my life in the UK, uh, jumped on a plane and ended up in Auckland uh, um, and set up an office in Auckland then grew into Wellington then started doing work in Australia uh, and then Uh, some other number of years later uh, putting on one side some of the personal things that uh, many of my forum will understand (laughs) decided to move to Australia Um, and uh, and so now um, I'm based here in Sydney and uh, now operate out of Sydney and Wellington and Canberra and remotely in Perth and so on Um, and also about three years ago the other important part of the journey was um, so when I first moved to New Zealand I set up basically a remote office from the UK business Uh, and then about three years ago I decided and and my colleagues in the UK decided to separate out the business and hence we are now Catalyze APAC completely independent of the UK business. So I kind of found myself in in this business coming from a software background and, and dimension Although, just an interesting aside, I do recall when I was in my very first role in that technology transfer organisation, I always fancied the idea of being a consultant, and when I uh, knocked on the doors of a few of the big players, they all said to me, oh, yeah, but have you got any consulting experience? I said, no, I want to become one. They said, well, go and get some consulting experience and come back. And, of course, were, uh, a problem you could never solve because they were the people that would give the consulting experience.
1: Yeah. And so now
0: I find myself as a consultant with more than 15 years under my belt I'm um, kind of laughing back at the day.
1: <laughs> and so does marketing come into play or is the marketing just referrals and word of mouth?
0: Um, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a great question. And perhaps, I guess probably one of our current biggest challenges. So marketing should come into play for sure. Uh, we have never been strong on marketing because we've been so strong on referrals. Um, and just as an example, if, you know, one of our main The main activities we do are running these decision workshops that we call decision conferences and they will very often have very senior stakeholders in the room and they're often from external to any given organization. And so each event where we run it and it's very successful has, you know, 10 or 15 New client prospects in the room because they come from other agencies, other companies, other businesses that um, have suddenly seen a new way to make decisions. So, historically, most of our business comes from other people who participate in another client activity that we're running. That's really um, cool,
1: right? So, you're getting, you're almost like getting paid to market yourself.
0: That's one way you could look at it. I would never dare say that in public, of yeah. course.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. But I mean, it is. I mean, it, it, I guess if you put on a good show and you're getting results for people the natural thing is, is that they're going to go, oh, we'll get Paul and Catalyze to help us on the problem because everyone's got problems, I'm assuming, decision-making Absolutely. problems.
0: Yeah, and, and the reason they're in the room often for working with another client um, and just to pick a really uh, a, an old example but it's uh, it's uh, relevant, uh, work, when we were working with the New Zealand Defence Force and they were looking at uh, challenges of affordability into the future. So we ran a very uh, big process for them. And I facilitated a three-day workshop that had in it uh, very senior people from the police, from the customs service, um, from foreign affairs and trade and so on. And that was a very successful project. We won an award for that. Um, And as a result of that, those people in the room were facing similar problems to defence. So uh, not surprisingly, the phone rang saying, oh, that thing you just did for defence, can you come and do that for us? Here, over in big agency of choice. So we then work from the poli- with the police, for example.
1: And is, is there an element of like some of these big organisations? They just like the decision making um, process is it's going to be political in some way. So bringing in an external uh, consultant and going through a process that actually helps legitimise what they're doing. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a good that's a good way to look at it. I mean, we're we're you know some some people might say overly, but very principled about the way that we work and bringing best practice decision making uh, processes. So often an organisation, I mean, historically without our help, most decisions are very politically driven, mm-hmm. either by the uh, whim of a minister by the bonus that the CEO is going to earn, by, you know, some other dimension that isn't necessarily in the best interest of the organisation. So we we often find that when we go into work in an organisation and, um, and our job isn't to legitimise that, our job is to, and, and, well, I suppose if you mean, if legitimise means actually make it a valid decision, then, yes, that's, of course, what we do. But the first thing we'll do is challenge that. And if, if mm. uh, like I said before, if, if they come in to say, you know, make this decision that we've already made, okay and then if it's not the right decision we'll be the first to point that out yeah Um, and frankly uh, transparency is one of the critical things that we bring so if if it's a decision that's been made behind closed doors that no one wants to get underneath then the minute we walk in the room they're not you know that that
1: becomes that changes apparent yeah so if you have a number of i guess you could have a number of decisions and then ramifications and consequences of going you know left versus right
0: Yes, exactly. Or straight, or straight a,
1: ahead, that, you know.
0: So or straight ahead or make no decision, standing where yeah. you are, which is of course, you know, I think in today's very much today's world is one of the challenges is people even getting paralyzed in their decision making. Yeah. Um, and a, a lot of what we work with our you know I guess one of the things that is, is crucial about the way we work is we bring process to our clients, we don't tell them the answer. Yep. So we will we will unearth these things. We'll say, well, looking at these things that you're considering, have you considered all these downstream consequences, these risks, these impacts? Uh, let's get all that clear and then we've got a platform to make a decision from. Um, and often, you know, one of the challenges as human beings is we don't want to look at all those consequences. We wanna you know put our head in the sand or pretend mm-hmm. they're not going to show up and yeah. then of course we make a decision and uh get upset that it's the wrong decision <clears> or it doesn't <throat> work out for us
1: yeah and so when you say we is it a team of people that go into these workshops or is it just you know for example if you're running a workshop is it just you or you have someone helping you or how, how does that process work
0: yeah so we we uh, we catalyze typically work in teams of two or three. Um, yep. And so, in a given decision conference, there'll be someone facilitating the workshop who's really taking the group of stakeholders through the process. There'll be someone supporting that who's capturing the conversations into a computer model, which is the software bit, um, and uh, supporting the facilitator. And there may often be another analyst in the room as well because. One of the things that happens in in, in uh, those kind of events is, uh, although it's about coalescing on a decision and you know building a decision model, it's lots of conversation. It's very rich conversation, a very challenging conversation. So, a lot gets learnt in the room. Um, just by people participating and so we want to make sure we capture that we've got you know a, 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 um, it's not just about the data um, yeah. and in fact it's interesting because often when we work with the client they start by saying you know, we just need to get to an answer can you get us an answer and um, we say yeah we know we can do that but here's all the other things that are going to happen and then we come away from the end of it and they all sit around saying wow, wow that was
1: yeah.
0: I had before I understand the perspectives of the different people Oh, that was lucky. <laughs> yeah, and of course I'm scratching my head. Oh, no, that's exactly how it's designed. He <laughs> just and, didn't know that's what you
1: wanted at the start. And so, when you walk in, you don't necessarily know what the problem is, or, or what the, or do you get a brief before you go saying this is the decision we need to make? I'm, I'm just, I um, guess, I'm trying to understand. Like, it's not just a three-day workshop. You'd, you'd have to do a. It's like, I don't know, being a barrister yeah. or something, where you have got to prepare for the case, and then you've got to you've got to go through the process and, and then come out with an outcome at the other end
0: Absolutely, yeah it's, it's um, it, often that three-day workshop is the result of three months worth of work to get right, right. Um, and, and and to be honest if you if you uh, look at the academic history of what we do the design of the processes go back quite a few years and the original design was it was literally you walk in the room. 9 o'clock in the morning and you walk out 5 o'clock the next day and you've gone from nothing to having an answer. Um, but in today's modern world, especially with the data that people want to gather around decisions and the enge- levels of engagement, that doesn't work. So we typically um, would prepare you know, over some months. Although, to be honest, um, one of the things we're right in the middle of now, given the current uh, coronavirus situation, is the Ministry of Transport in New Zealand have asked us to run a decision workshop next week and they asked us yesterday. So there's not right. even seven days to go from nothing to really a review of the current major investments in uh, transport infrastructure in New Zealand in the light of the current changing circumstances. So, you know, that's going to be pretty rapid uh, uh, yeah. uh, process. Um, but, yeah, as you say, there's often, there's a, there is often there is preparation so that you make the most of the time in the room. Yeah. Um, and, and one of the interesting things is, and this is a com, com, common constant challenge for us is, Often the question we're asked is not, we're trying to make this decision, what do we do, it's some other problem. Ah, oh, we're facing this challenge. And yeah. then through the conversation with us in the beginning, we go, "Right, oh, it sounds like that's the decision that you're trying to make. And then once people can see it as a decision, then, ah, oh, okay, now we know how to help you. Here's the journey that we can take you on. Um, so, although it might not look like a decision in the first place, often uh, seeing it through the lens of a decision can really help. Um, and, yeah, you know, people often talk about things like affordability or inefficiency or, you know, not delivering on the strategy or my team is not aligned. And that doesn't sound like a decision. They all sound like, you know, pretty common business problems. Mm. But when you... Through our conversation, we might turn that around to, oh, what's the projects you need to stop doing to free up your resource? Oh, there's a decision there, or what's the best IT infrastructure I should invest in? Oh, there's a decision. And that's a lot of what might at the beginning before we even start a process.
1: Yeah, cool. So it, how many projects can you do a, a year?
0: Oh, that's a good question. Actually, I should, I should I should have this number at the top of my fingertips, but typically uh, so we're a team of seven um, and uh, we're often working on probably half a dozen or so projects at a given time of various lengths so I guess perhaps in a typical year and, and we're you know we're in growth right this is uh, this is EO. yeah <laughs> and, yep. uh, uh, and so uh, I'd say typically we're doing 30 40 projects a year something like that yeah um, and uh, uh, you know that's one of our challenges because sometimes they're they're often they're very meaty and i'm you know i'm here to make an impact on the world of decision making so the more i can do that at scale the better
1: well it sounds it sounds like you've got some fabulous clients like they're all you know every they're all heavy hitters right so
0: yeah oh yeah our our client list is awesome if you add you know you put people like shell and bhp and 3m and uh you know Department of defense and uh, Department of finance on our client list then um yeah we're we're in a good position in yeah
1: that's that fa- that's absolutely fantastic so over the next six months or so you how are you adapting to the world situation given yeah, that given a- that i guess you can do a lot of prep work still right you can take briefs and and start the process yeah, yeah. And-
0: <clears throat> well there's um unsurprisingly like i I would imagine pretty much anyone listening to this podcast right now. We're, you know, having to pivot in the way that we do some of the things that we do. Yep. So the uh, this this thing the Ministry of Transport wants us to run next week, which typically would have been a one-day workshop with maybe a dozen people in the room. We're now having to run that entirely virtually using a combination of tools, including Zoom, including a virtual whiteboard and application, including some other... Um, text-based uh, channels and so on so uh, we're you know adapting very rapidly um, fact, uh, and you know I'm super proud of uh, how the team have responded because uh, we were literally due last Thursday to go into defense and run a very highly classified uh, decision conference with a dozen senior stakeholders in defense and that what? was all set up and all booked to go and the Tuesday so two days before, uh, pretty much all the um, guidance internally on defence on how defence could work meant that it was no longer possible to run it that way so uh, we had to turn that into a paper-based offline process where we designed a bunch of tools that people could use that could get be distributed amongst the stakeholders they could do the work as their input to the decision offline we could then bring all that together, consolidate it Re- replay that back offline, mm. um, and and basically design a collaborative decision process where no one actually even spoke to each other because wow. the nature of that material meant they couldn't do video conference, couldn't do anything, uh, couldn't even do audio conference.
1: Wow! So, so how do yeah, you get it if they're in New if they're in New Zealand? Did you say they were in New Zealand yet? Or no,
0: that's that's it. That's a,
1: that's that's in Can- Canberra. This Canberra. In okay. So what yeah, you yeah. literally have to drive paperwork to each other, or pretty much that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, wow. Oh, that's good. Well, it keeps it interesting, that's for sure. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that, yes. <laughs> All right, Paul, that's great. It's like it, it always surprises me, you know, like um, oh, I had really no idea what you did. So it's, it's been fantastic <laughs> to, to learn about uh, all this secret, secret consulting <laughs> business that you're doing. So, <laughs> um, so I've got just five quick questions. Uh, I've just got to remember what the five are now. The first one is how old are you?
0: Me? How old do you think I am, Brendan? Oh, well, I'll tell you the answer though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 52,
1: 52. And then, um, what do you like to do to keep fit?
0: Ah, CrossFit, 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 all the way. I love doing CrossFit.
1: Have you have you got one in the house now? Now that you can't go to the gym, or?
0: Well, yeah, because because my uh, my gym is uh, CrossFit Athletic on Margaret Street are uh, such a great community. When they dis- when they learn how to close their doors, they basically offered all their members to go and borrow a kit. Oh, so uh, I popped in on Tuesday morning and loaded the car up with some stuff. So yeah, good we on can you. Run workouts at home. Yeah, that's
1: awesome. Um, so good ma- that they did that. How many? How many hours sleep are you getting each night? Oh
0: goodness me, probably the typical. I don't know, maybe five or six, something like that.
1: Yep. And then, um, do you have any personal goals this year that you're looking to achieve?
0: Ah, oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> Actually, I just created a goal literally half an hour before coming on this podcast. I thought it's time to play a game called After Coronavirus, I Will Be Able To... <laughs> and I decided that after coronavirus, I will be able to play the piano. So there you go. There's a personal goal for me. I'm putting it out there.
1: Well, I'm, uh, I'm busily learning Spanish at the moment via Skype, oh. which is really good fun. <laughs> so, uh, that, that, well, We that, have
0: that. a demi-pair in our house who uh, is from Uruguay and she uh, could help learn Spanish. So there you go, Brendan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then finally, uh, if you could be remembered for one thing in business, uh, what would that be?
0: Uh, if I could be remembered for one thing in business, it's changing the way uh, governments
1: make decisions. <clears throat> okay, that's awesome. And then if people want to connect with you, Paul, um, your website or how, how's the best way to get in contact?
0: Uh, yeah, website's great, www.catalyzeapac.com uh or um yeah actually that's the easiest most uh, yeah. universal way to um to reach me and the team
1: that's brilliant okay mate thanks for coming on the show
0: thanks so much brennan it's been a pleasure chatting to you and i uh, hope everyone's going about out there in these terrible times